Father, thank you that you are so good to us. Thank you that you watch over us. Thank you that even when we ignore you, you don't ignore us. Father, we ask that you would give us grace despite our pride. And Father, we pray that you would give us humility. True humility, not just a false humility or a facade of it, but we pray that you would undo us. So Father, we pray that we would be a people that doesn't just do things that we're supposed to do, but that we would live the way that you've called us to live because we're convinced of who we are in Christ. So Father, we we ask that you would be with us today as we share from your word. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, it's good to be here. Um, it, was, it was about three years ago that Britt and Nydia said, we will pay for you to go to this crazy conference in Indianapolis. And I didn't want to go, um, but because we trusted them, we decided to go to this conference. And this conference was on doing like multi-class, multi-ethnic type ministry. And uh, the first couple days, I was like squirming in my seat, listening to some of the people that were sharing because I was thinking a certain way. Like I had, a, I had one view of the world, one view of ministry, and the way I was viewing things was right. Like I was convinced of that. And at those times... When I thought I was right and I was pretty dogmatic about it and pretty convinced, Britt would come up and just hug me and that, that would soften my heart. And so it was then thereafter that Sarah and I, we got back and we started praying about where the Lord would lead us to serve. And we had no idea, but we started praying about South L.A., and the Lord opened up a massive door for us to move down to South L.A. <clears throat> and so we've been down there in South L.A. now for two and a half years. And uh, we moved down there with the intent, we're just going to live, love, and learn. And we're not going to do anything. And like, I'm an engineer. I love having a plan. I'm a go-getter. I have to be doing things. But not being able to do anything the first few months was really, really hard for me. And even as I was living, loving, and learning, I was still scheming and planning what I was going to do as soon as like that time was up. And I thought that I had so much to offer. Like, I knew I needed to learn, but I still was convinced I had so much to offer the people. And so as I started meeting with a lot of the people in the neighborhood, I had no idea what to say to them. There were different times where I would be in conversation with them, and I'd be listening to them, and I would be thinking about all my theological training and every verse that I've memorized. 
and I didn't know what to say. I remember after meeting with a guy across the street from me, the first time that I had compassion, he was sharing with me his story, his brokenness, he was sharing with me all the hurt, the sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, and I didn't know what to say and I was just speechless, literally. And it was conversation after conversation, relationship after relationship, that God was showing me just how unprepared I was and how little I actually knew about the Bible and Him. I knew verses and I could throw verses at people. You know, like, if, if you have an issue, suck on this verse for seven days and you'll be fixed. You know, and if, if it doesn't work, you're not really committed or maybe it's a different verse. And I was expecting these quick fixes. But the more I listened to people, the more I realized just how much I didn't understand about Scripture. And what God was doing with me is He was beginning to just undo me. I don't know if you guys have ever been undone, but it like, it sucks. How do you translate sucks? Sucks. Sucks. I heard it's a derogatory word in Spanish, so, okay. It stinks. It's terrible. And I would come home, and I just, Sarah would say, you, you're just bringing a dark cloud into the house. Because I would be faced with relationship after relationship and not knowing what to say to them. And instead, I was feeling like I was falling apart. And I would go to these certain verses that, I would, that would typically give me comfort and they were doing nothing for me. So some of the things that God was doing, He was reworking me, reshaping me, deconstructing me, and reconstructing me. He was, he was revealing like impure motives in my heart. Like, am I satisfied with serving Jesus just for Jesus' sake? False identities. I was finding so much of my worth in what I was doing, or what I accomplished, or how I succeeded. Or just impatience. I was wanting things to happen quick. I was wanting to see people's lives changed. But it seemed like the more that I met with people, it seemed as if they were just falling apart. The more I invested, the more I found out about how much their life was a mess. And I remember meeting with Britt and I'm like, I can't fix these people. And he's like, I don't know why you ever thought you could fix these people. And what God was continuing to show me was just my brokenness and how much in my life needed to be fixed. So let me ask you this. Would you guys say that you are real? Like, you're transparent, you're vulnerable. Like, do you feel like what you project to other people is truly who you are? 
So let's think about this. Let's dive in just a little bit. Think about your reputation with others. What you project to people, and then also what you protect. You guys know what I'm saying? You know what you want to be known for? You name drop. You talk about things in your resume. Talk about people you know. So you have this reputation that you're, you're trying to like keep up when you're hanging out with people and friends. But who are you when you're laying in bed at night? Okay, when you're not having to keep up appearances, but you're just there with your worst enemy, your worst critic, you. And you're just thinking over the day, like, how do you perceive yourself at those moments? Some of us, we think really highly of ourselves in those moments. But like me, at most times, I thought pretty lowly of myself, and I would find myself just crying. Not just wanting to fall asleep, but I couldn't fall asleep. As I was thinking about my day, thinking about what I didn't do, or who I wasn't and who I wanted to be, it would just begin to undo me. And Sarah wasn't any help at those moments because she would just fall asleep. I would lay there for like two hours, not knowing what to do with my thoughts. Now let's go a little bit deeper past what you think of yourself. So you have the reputation of others, then you have your self-perception, but then there's those hidden parts of you that you don't even like to discuss, you don't even like to think about, you don't even mention to God because they're just so disgusting, they're so hidden, you're trying to like literally lie to yourself to create a new reality. So you have those parts of you. But they creep up and they start preaching something false of who you are in those moments. Now let's think about just one more thing. How does God perceive you? Because there's times when I think that God thinks that I'm pretty amazing. Like, I'm God's favorite child. I'm God's MVP. And everybody else is just playing a support role, but like, I'm on stage because I am over you. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the excellent Matt Moore. Like that's how I feel of myself at times. But most times, I think God wants to trade me. God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. He sees me not through the blood of Christ, but my dirty, filthy blood and sin and fallenness. And so I ignore God because I feel like He's ignoring me. I don't talk to Him. I don't give Him attention because that's how I feel that He's treating me. Now, I don't know what defines you. If you're letting what others say of you define you or what you're saying of yourself define you or if you're actually really, really biblical and you're letting God define you, but we have so many voices in our head saying different things. But would you say that you have become real yet? That you've gotten down to like your true self? Because I thought I did and then God put me in this neighborhood 
And the relationships just started undoing me. The, the challenges, the setbacks, the trials, I just kept getting unraveled. And there was a point last year in January, like I got so despondent and so depressed that I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't even want to go to sleep. I didn't want to do whatever was before me. And so I would just turn on the TV and just try to forget about my reality. I would try to turn on a movie and just enter into that. And it was the worst at the end of the movie because then life would start hitting me again. I didn't want to really hang out with people. I, didn't, I just wanted the world to end, so to speak. Because what God was doing is He was undoing me. And I didn't realize that as He was undoing me, He was coming towards me because I didn't want to have anything to do with Him at a point. I was just like, why would you undo me this much and not overwhelm me with Your presence, with Your grace? He was, but I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't recognizing it. And I think at that point, what God was showing me was, you are tasting just for a moment, Matt, finally in your life, what true brokenness looks like. You are tasting what all these people in this neighborhood have lived with their entire life. So now, why don't you try offering true salvation to these people? Give them actually hope versus your white perspective your cute little verses that you hope fix, why don't you offer true hope now that you've ex- now that you've experienced true brokenness? Does that make sense? Because I wanted people to get fixed in seven or ten days. And it, nothing was happening. Nothing was changing. And so, in the next 20 minutes or so, I want to break you guys, okay? You guys ready to be broken a little bit? Just picture this you. I just want to crush you, break you. I just... No, no. I want... I want to give you some tools biblically to get down to who you truly are. And I'm going to watch your body language because if you start squirming, then I know that, it, that God's doing something, okay? So you better sit still. Sit still, okay? There's a passage in James and what I think it does is it dives down deep past all of the layers. All of the callousness that we've covered our heart with. I think it scratches past all of that and gets down to who we truly are. So go to James chapter 4. I'm going to read it in English and I'll have Nydia read it in Spanish. What causes fights? What causes quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Alright, so this passage begins to dive past the layers of who we are. So it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? So how do you act? Most of us know how to act. 
right? We know how to act socially. I mean, some of you guys are socially awkward, and that needs to be worked on, but most of you guys know how to act, right? You come into this setting, and you know how to act. You float around, you know how to talk to people, interact, you know what body language you should project. You know, especially in Christian circles, Christian functions, you know what you want people to see of you and understand. But you know, or at least your close friends know, that there's certain ways to poke and provoke you and certain ungodliness will come out. So I'm driving up here today. I'm like, I got my game face on. I'm preaching. I'm spirit filled. Big time. Then one of my kids just becomes extremely ungodly. It's totally his fault. And then all of a sudden, something comes out of me and I just get angry. Okay? It's totally his fault, not my fault. Just joking. But we know those moments, those people that begin to provoke things that are in our heart. But I had this behavior that I was projecting. It's kind of it's like this. Most of you think you're a, a cute little puppy dog, right? Cute little puppy dog. Everyone loves you. Right? Most of you feel that way. I mean, value, you're a, you're a cute little puppy dog, right? Yeah. But you know, in certain situations, with certain people, or if you're asked too much of, that if they just provoke you, you just like the dog with rabies comes out, right? And what they're poking at is the heart. As it says, is it not this... That you have these passions that are at war within you. There's just stuff in your heart. And so what I grabbed was, I don't know if any of you ladies from the 80s remember these. A charm bracelet. Okay. You younger ladies have no idea what this is. A charm bracelet represents different things in my wife's life. She loves to travel, so it has things from London, things from France. It has, she loves music, it has a piano, music notes. I didn't know this, but she actually was into sports. She has a tennis racket here. She <laughs> could have fooled me. Um, uh, she has her diplomas, her degrees. We have these desires within us, things that represent us, and they're warring within us. I don't know if you feel this at times. Like you have these desires and they're just conflicting. So it says, is not, what causes these quarrels and fights? What causes you to lash out? What causes you to kind of break through that mask, that facade? Is it not these desires within you? It goes on, it says, you covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own motives. So you have this behavior. You dig down deep. You have within the heart these desires. But then deep within the heart, there's something hidden in the deep recesses and it's a locket. And within this locket, this is who you truly are. This defines you. 
this is what you may never get to, you may protect, you clinch and clutch tightly. This is the core of who you are. Now think about this. A lot of us, we spend time talking about our bad behavior and we repent of it and we change our bad behavior. Some of us get a little bit more vulnerable and we start talking about pride and self-righteousness, things in our heart. But so few of us get down deep enough into the locket of who we really are. Because if you can break into the locket of who you truly are, then your desires are going to be reshaped and your behavior is going to become a lot more acceptable, presentable, redeemed-like, Christ-like. This is what the gospel is trying to get to. The gospel's trying to get to the locket in your heart. Before moving to South LA, I was so good at accountability groups, confession of sin. I would put those things out there. Yes, I'm an idiot. I'm a dirtbag just like you. And people would be like, that's great, Matt. Like, you're transparent, you're vulnerable, you're confessing sins. That's fantastic. But I was willing just to kind of talk about some dirty little secrets and it wasn't that big of a deal and I was not letting anybody into this locket. And nobody was asking because I put these things out there. Look at me. I'm a dirtbag just like you. Don't you dare come over here. But you know, you know that in your life, if you haven't begun to talk about this, this thing that you're tightly gripping, you have not experienced true transformation. Think about this. There's a guy in my neighborhood that I've invested the most in. He's a homosexual guy. We have a great relationship. Just before I drove up here, he kind of scared me. He came up to my van. He looked at me. He's like, are you really wearing that to preach in? I'm like, you should see their pastor. Like... <laughs> but he's always says he's like I will always I will always be a homosexual I will always hold on to this he's like everything else Jesus can touch I'm like well that's great like God can come into your life and do a lot of home improvement and kind of update it and modernize your house but God wants to get to that thing within your heart that you're holding most closely because that is what defines you. So, where does God go in this passage through James? He says you have these, this behavior, it's traced to this heart, and then deep within the heart you have this covetousness, this idol that He's trying to get to. Okay, I think... God goes overboard here. But, just, but God's always right. Don't trust me. What does He say here? He says, You adulterous people. You know what that means? You whores. You prostitutes. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're, you're just pointing out that we have this sin that we're not getting along. We're fighting. We're quarreling. We have these desires within our hearts. We're wanting something, we don't get it. Why didn't he just say sinners? 
Or you guys are making a lot of mistakes. You, you dirtbags. Why does he go here, you whores? Because it's one thing just to say, like, I have an idol in my life. But to take idolatry to adultery, that you're like cheating on God, that takes it up a notch. For example, Sarah and I. If I did something mean to her, things like that, it's easy to restore, easy to fix. But if I say, I have broken the covenant here, I have cheated on you, that's a whole new ballgame. And I think so often, what we do with God is we just say, oh, here, here's some sins. Please may your blood cover these sins of mine. But He's trying to show deep within our heart, we really don't want Him. Deep within our heart, we don't want to be known by Him. We don't want to be associated with Him. And so what He's saying in this passage is you guys are cheating on me. You guys are pretenders. You're, you think you're married to me. You think you have coveted, covenanted yourself to me, promised yourself to me. But you're committing adultery. So here's some of my adultery that I realized over the last two and a half years. I realized that there was a lot of attitude in my heart with God. Attitude versus gratitude. Like I'd be thankful with God if He was dishing blessings to me. But I wasn't really happy with Him. And so more often than not, my prayers were filled with attitude. I realized in my life that I was only okay with God when He was causing fruitfulness in my life, but He was showing me faithfulness. And so He was remaining faithful to the promises, but I was wanting Him to bless me, overwhelm me with things, promises, everything I asked, I wanted. More recently, I realized when life was falling apart, I realized that I was so into self-praise, self-pity versus God's praise. So look at this verse in Hosea. Hosea chapter, Hosea chapter 6. So Hosea was this prophet, okay? Most of you would long to be a prophet. You would never have wanted to be Hosea. The first time God spoke to Hosea, God said, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. I want you to go and marry a whore. And she's going to be unfaithful to you. And this, your life, your marriage is going to suck. Your marriage is going to be terrible. But this marriage is going to be a living illustration of what I'm constantly dealing with, with my people. He says this, Your love is like a morning cloud, like the... Like the dew that goes away early. I mean, is that not our relationship with God? Where we, we love Him in the morning, we love Him in a moment, we, we love Him at a church service, but when it gets hard or when life gets busy, we don't resemble any type of relationship with God. We don't resemble like God's our shepherd, God's our father, God's our everything. And 
And so most of our lives, we live as if we're unfaithful to God. I mean, imagine this with Sarah and I. Sarah and I, we've been married for 11 years. And when I first got to know Sarah, I was like really into her. She was hot. She was amazing. She was perfect. Like everything, right? Still are. But I made these vows to her, right? I made these vows like, hun, I wrote them down here. Do you vow to be true and loyal, patient in sickness, comforting in sorrow, forsaking all others, keeping yourself only unto her so long as you both shall live? Those were my vows I made to her. Because I was feeling it that day. I mean, was, there were lights, there was a band, there was a pastor, there were friends. I was feeling it that day. It's been 11 years. Which is a really long time in my neighborhood. Uh, people are wowed by that. But what, so what if I came to Sarah and I said, we had our time, it was good, I need to change our vows, I've amended them. And what if I said, Sarah... I vow here to be true and loyal to you only when my heart is in it. I'll tolerate you in the midst of sickness. I'll consider comforting you when you're a crazy emotional mess. I'll forsake all others unless someone else better comes along. And I will keep myself only unto you so long as it feels right. What would you say? Bye. Uh-uh. But is that not what we do with God? I used to be a worship leader and I had trouble sometimes picking the songs to sing because I was like, I'm going to get everybody singing these songs, these lyrics to God and they don't even believe it. Like the song, I'm desperate for you. I'm like, I'd like to see one person desperate for God. But I'm going to lead people in saying this to God. So we get fired up for God. We say these things. But is this not the real vows that we've made to God? This, I would say, is more true of my walk with the Lord. Here are my vows to God. I'll be grateful as long as you keep a steady stream of blessing coming my way. I'll love you faithfully as long as you answer all my prayers exactly as I requested and in my timing. I'll serve you as long as you display great power, fruit, and effectiveness in everything I touch. Right? That's at least more true to my walk with the Lord. I'm into Him when I feel like He's into me. When He's blessing me and providing me fruitfulness. And what I realized over the last two and a half years is that God was peeling back me and was showing, Matt, you are just not satisfied with me. Matt, who you are is so messed up. And He was saying all these things to me through these situations. He was deconstructing me. And I was feeling alone. I was feeling exposed. Because everything I found security in Everything I stabled my life in, God was taken away. And so, I felt that God was standing back there and saying, See, you dummy. Like, look at you. You thought you were something. You thought you were legit. But I didn't realize when God was doing all that, 
he was trying to overwhelm me with his grace, overwhelm me with his presence. He was trying to rush towards me, but I didn't want to have anything to do with him for a time. Because I was feeling exposed, alone, and all he was doing was just showing me, Matt, this is truly who you are. He was undoing me. Look at this passage here. After, in James, after he says, What causes these fights and quarrels? Is it not these terrible desires? Don't you have a lot of this idolatry in your heart? And then he finally just puts a label on it. He, fe- he basically diagnoses us and he says, You're whores, you're prostitutes. And you're just like, whoa, that sucks. That's hard to hear. Next slide. But what is God's response? He gives more grace. That was something that was foreign to me. I got it theologically, but I did not get it relationally with God. As He was exposing me and undoing me and kind of like just pulling that thread on my sweater that was unraveling me, He was trying to overwhelm me more and more with Him. It says, He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Or think of it like this. Next slide, in Hosea. It says in verse 13, I will punish her for her feast days with the bales when she burned offerings to them she adorned herself with ring with jewelry she went after her lovers and forgot me declares the Lord so think about this I've used this analogy before here imagine me coming home and seeing Sarah all dolled up having a dress on that I bought her, jewelry on that I got her for our one-year, five-year, ten-year anniversary. She's looking hot. She's looking fine. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, so what's going on? What's what's happening? Are we going out tonight? What do you have planned? And she can't even look me in the eye, and she says, Matt, you know, when you've been gone at work, I've been cheating with this guy down the street, and we're done. I'm going, we're going out tonight. How do you think I would feel? I'd probably put my fist through a wall. I wouldn't hit her. But I would be really, really upset, right? With that adultery right in my face, right? I'd be so exposed, undone. I would be so angry. And is that not what we do so often with God? Where He is richly blessing us And we are wearing the clothes, the jewelry of His grace. He's overwhelmed us with so much good. And we're just like turning our back on Him. What is His response? Look at verse 14. I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. And I will speak tenderly to her. Do you realize that in the midst of your whoredom, in the midst of you going out on God, in the midst of you being exposed with all of your icky, disgusting sin, 
that if you are humble in those moments, God wants to allure you and draw you back. Like, do you get that? Yes, it sucks to be undone. It is horrible. I can speak from experience. When God is stripping away all of the facade, all of the mask, He's pulling off all your clothes, so to speak, and you're standing there totally naked, feeling like so awful, and feeling like there's these spotlights on you. Do you realize that He's trying to rush you with His grace? He's trying to redefine you. Like my child that was acting like a pagan in the car, right? Okay? Um, Sarah was in the back seat. Sarah was spirit-led truly at that moment. I was just like, shut up, be quiet, like, I'm focused. Like, she climbs back there and she tries to dig down deep to his heart and get to, like, what's really going on. And he's just firing back. As soon as we're trying to point the finger at what's going on in his heart, he's just rebuttaling, saying so-and-so, or you did this. But we try it. Finally, after pulling off the freeway, getting back on the freeway, finally, when we came near Lanark Park, he finally started showing some humility. And I pointed out, I'm like, notice at this moment, when you're humble, and you're owning up to your sin, in this moment, what are mommy and daddy doing right now? You idiot. Told you you were wrong. Hope you feel bad, little boy. Were we doing that? We were just like, we love you. Our relationship's good again. Things were beautiful again. Things were restored. So what James is trying to do in this passage is he's trying to get us to own up to who we truly are and he's trying to peel back all of the layers he says look at those bad behaviors don't you know that there's these desires in your heart that need to be addressed and don't you know that deep within these desires there's something that you're clinging and clutching and you don't want anybody to see you have protected with all of your might and once God kind of undoes us don't you want to experience that type of grace that type of healing, restorative, redemptive grace. Look at the last few verses here. It says this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. I'll just conclude with this thought. If you really want to be used by God, if you really want to be the most amazing wife, most amazing husband, um, think about the mission of this church, being neighbor-focused when you're hanging out in the park, when you're hanging out in your apartment, 
The only way to live for God is for you, it starts by coming to the end of yourself. So here's my application for you this week. I don't want you to do anything. Nothing. I don't want you to go out tonight and start repenting of sins and then committing to do great things for God. I don't want you doing anything that's going to make you feel like you applied this passage in about five and a half minutes. Okay? Nothing. I just want you to think about what I've said. Think about this passage and just ask some basic questions to God. God, have I really been real yet? Or is my life just a sham? Is it just a facade? Because I went down there to South LA on mission, ready to love people, show them compassion, show them Jesus. And I realized that there was an extent of my love, my, I was constantly pushed to the limits and I couldn't go any farther. Because it wasn't God in me, it was Matt trying to be like God. It was Matt trying to love like God. It was Matt trying to show compassion. Matt trying to show concern. But I was constantly pushed to the edge of my limits. And I kept trying to push harder, push harder, push harder. But what God was trying to do was undo me so that He could really live through me. So if you really want to get started in life, truly live on mission, I think it starts by just coming to the end of yourself and this week just doing nothing. But just reflecting and asking God, God, dig deep and show me what's in that locket. Show me my whoredom, my adulterous thoughts. So, unrelated to the message, why are Sarah and I here? You know, that's the big question. Um, We learned a lot in South L.A., We thought we would be in South L.A. for decades. Um, But we realized after praying and seeking the Lord and seeking counsel from others that it would be best for the team if we pulled back and kind of handed off the church to them. So about a month ago, we handed off the church to the other leaders. And um, they're great leaders. There's not sin. If you're wondering if, like, I cheated on my wife, I didn't. Um... Some people have looked at me, they're like, what's really going on? The main thing is just, there's been too many cooks in the kitchen down there. And the more that all of us tried to lead the way that we thought we needed to lead, the more there was kind of just rubbing of shoulders and disagreement. And so over the last few months, Sarah and I have stepped back more and more and more and just let them kind of take over. And so... We've now handed off the church to them. And uh, we don't know what the next step is. But Sarah and I felt that we needed, we, could, we weren't ready to kind of like make the next step, like that big decision. And so some people were saying, hey, why don't you come here and do this or come here and do that? And it just felt too premature, everything. And so Nidia and Britt came over and they said, why don't you just come and serve with us, just live with us, heal with us here at Living Stones. 
And so we thought it would be amazing. Like it was you guys that put a heart. And I mean, I blame you guys for the pain I went through over the last two and a half years. No, but it was your example that gave us the heart to do what we've been doing in South LA. And so we feel that being here is going to be very healing for us and it will bring a lot of clarity to us as to what the next step is. And so we don't know if we're going to move here. Most likely for the sake of our kids, we're going to stay where we're at for now, but we'll be up here a lot. And so we'd love to hang out with you guys. Um, I love to school a lot of you at soccer um, today at 3. So, um, But honestly, my, what Britt has asked me to do is to preach about half of the time. And then the other thing is just to hang out with a lot of you and do leadership development. And to some extent, give a lot of your leaders a little bit of a reprieve because they've been working their tail off. And so, so you'll see more of me. Um, and hopefully you guys can come down and hang out with us as well. And so that's what we're going to be doing here for the next 9 or 12 months. So Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you're good to us. Father, we thank you that you watch over us. Father, we pray that you would overwhelm us with your presence. Lord, I know there's been things in my life that have been revealed and life gets hard and difficult and um, it gets overwhelming. And Lord, you never, ever, ever leave us alone. But sometimes, Lord, we don't see you. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to how you are running close to us and walking with us and carrying us. May we not have attitude with you ever, but may we be honest with you when we feel alone. So, Father, we pray that you would allow us to taste, touch, tangibly grace this week. And I pray that we would really be who you've created us to be. So, Father, Help us come to the end of ourselves. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.